0: Welcome to Ask the Expert. Today we have the distinct pleasure of talking with Mia Ogard-Monstead and forgive me if I it. that. Um, she's going to be talking about phosphatidylcholine, a role in type 1 diabetes. Very interesting concept, um, one that I've spoken with um, a couple of people at the Bartholin Institute, uh, particularly uh, Karsten Bouchard um, in the past and it's really exciting to talk um, to her about her work. She's a, new, she's a trainee or actually a newly minted PhD and um, so she'll have some very cutting edge uh, work to share with us. And I wanted to also uh, have her just do a quick introduction about, uh, give us a little background about herself.
1: So welcome Mia. Yeah, uh, yeah, we have these uh, Danish uh, letters. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, so my name is uh, Mia Oegholmenstel and I'm uh, I got my PhD in November. Uh, I have been in uh, Martin's laboratory at the Bartholin Institute for almost four years, where I've investigated the role of the intestine in the development of type 1 diabetes, where I've been primarily focused on intestinal permeability and um, yeah, these uh, lipids that we're going to hear about today and also a bit about uh, gluten. And type diabetes, and I have a background in molecular medicine. I start next uh, month in uh, a medical device company as an engineer. Oh, fantastic! Very
0: interesting. Yeah. Um, And then I'm going to have, you know, sort of just if uh, Martin, can you illustrate a little bit about uh, sort of the current focus of the laboratory?
2: Yes, of course. Um, yeah, my name is Martin Johnson, uh, and I'm a group leader and senior researcher um, at the Bartolin Institute. Of course, our focus is uh, type 1 diabetes, um, but we focus mostly on two uh, promising areas in type 1 diabetes, namely intestinal permeability, which you probably know is increased uh, in type 1 diabetes, but also in pre-type 1 diabetes um, and in family members to those who develop type 1 diabetes. So it seems to be a strong early factor in type one diabetes. Uh, so we look at that, uh, which uh, Mia will tell you more about. And then we um, uh, also focus on um, virus, especially intra uh, uh, and virus, uh, and the innate uh, immune system. We see that um, some um, important uh, innate antiviral immune pathways are dysregulated in type one diabetes. So those are uh, the two focus areas in the laboratory at the moment.
0: Fantastic, yeah, these are very important and um, timely areas of research. So thanks for sort of sketching that out for us. Okay, so let's have Mia, um, you know, take it away here and uh, discuss her work.
1: Uh, First of all, uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, It's an interesting opportunity. Uh, I will tell you uh, about, one of my projects in my PhD called Coline, a role in type one diabetes, where we'll present a, um, a paper that we, is, currently, is currently submitted and uh, also some work from some of our students. So uh, I will just briefly go over type one diabetes. I'm sure all you know <laughs> what it is, but it's an autoimmune disease where you get a destruction of the pancreatic beta cells. So they stop producing insulin And um, therefore the glucose levels in the blood is starting to rise and you're in need of exogenous uh, insulin uh, injections every day, several times a day. Unfortunately, the incidence of type one diabetes is rising and has been for the past few decades. These are slides from uh, several European countries. I'm pretty sure it's the same in America. Uh, where we see a steady uh, incline of uh, the incidence. There is a difference uh, in incidence uh, when you compare which country you are in. Finland has the highest incidence per 100,000 people of uh, 51. Uh, persons and I think it's China uh, that has the smallest one uh, zero to one per 100,000 persons so it also depends on where you live if you what your risk is. Uh, it's curious
0: is that one of the early hypothesis was um, you know the presence of the absence of sunlight right or the um, you know that could be a possible hypothesis but you've got Finland and Sweden and then Kuwait is, uh, is a is a fast third so that's yeah. That's very uh, curious that Kuwait would be third, isn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it's not really my <laughs> specialty, but uh, it is. Uh, uh, there is at least a lot of Scandinavian countries on top of this list. Um,
0: right. Yeah. Well, let's see, let's let's talk. Let's just plant that seed um, as you start to talk about the fossil and yeah. have people thinking about what that might, how that might
1: fit. Um so uh, we have a great treatment for type 1 diabetes with these insulin injections, but unfortunately, uh, the mortality is still increased uh, for patients. Uh, here you see the life expectancy um, in the different age groups where you are diagnosed. and uh, I think it's from I think it's from Sweden. Uh, If you get diagnosed before the age of 10, you'll actually lose about uh, 18 years of uh, life expectancy, so that's quite a a high number. And this is very much related to the complications you can get uh, when you uh, have type 1 diabetes, like strokes, uh, but also retinopathy, kidney disease, neuropathy, and things like that, that also severely affects your quality of, of life. So we really need to know uh, if uh, we somehow can prevent uh, this disease, and that is what we have been trying to do at the Baselin Institute and have been interested in for uh, maybe a decade or more uh, (laughs) in Carsten's behaviour, yeah. Um, But to prevent the disease, we need to know the exact ATU pathogenesis, and that is not uh, entirely known yet, but we know that it's a multifactorial disease, Uh, which is where both genetics and environmental factors are important. On the genetic sides, we know that if you have a a father, mother or sibling that has type 1 diabetes, you are in in increased risk of developing type 1 diabetes. Furthermore, we have these uh, HLA uh, genotypes, which are very common and about uh, 90% of Scandinavian children with type 1 diabetes has one or both. And um, in monozygotic twin studies, about uh, 20 to 50% of uh, the other twin also develops type 1 diabetes. So for sure, the genetics are very important. But on the environmental side, we still from the monosygotic twin studies see that it's not 100%, so the environment must also be important. Also, the incidence is rising, um, which can't be explained just by genetic factors. And from migration studies, uh, we have seen that when you migrate from a low incidence country to a high incidence country, your risk of developing type 1 diabetes, especially in young children gets increased, which also suggests that the environment is very important. So the question is, where are we in contact with the environment? And one place would be the intestine because everything we eat and drink and medicine and whatnot, goes through your uh, digestive tract and um, passes the intestine. The intestinal barrier has a very, very high uh, surface area um, due to these villi-, villi protrusions in the small intestine and also the microvilli on top of all of the intestinal cells or the intracytes at least. And if you fold them out, they can fill a whole tennis court. So there's a lot of place for environmental factors to bother you here. It uh, serves as a self-non-self barrier uh, through this uh, thin epithelial lining where you have different cell types, primarily enterocytes but also goblet cells which are producing these, uh, this mucus layer and, for example, Paneth cells that are producing antimicrobial peptides. So in 2018, the perfect storm Hypothesis was proposed for the development of type 1 diabetes to be involved with increased intestinal permeability and aberrant, an aberrant intestinal microbiota and an altered intestinal immune reaction and that these would facilitate autoimmunity. So uh, as I told you before, I have also done uh, intestinal permeability experiments, but we will focus on this uh, phosphatidylcholine, especially in the mucus. So phosphatidylcholine is a lipid class where you have two fatty fatty acids, which can be of varying length and with several um, double bindings. And this confers uh, both uh, the function of the species, but also uh, the hydrophobicity. Then it has a glycerol backbone, backbone a phosphate group and a choline head group, which is hydrophilic. So why are we interested in phosphatidylcholine in type 1 diabetes? Well, there has been a lot of studies uh, trying to figure out if there are any metabolomic patterns that would be uh, relevant if in, in pre-type 1 diabetes patients. And if we could somehow uh, uh, do some kind of biomarker um, on these lipids, and this is a study from 2020, where he compares uh, this is um, this compares four studies, and uh, in pre type one diabetes patients that develops type one diabetes later on, and their lipidome in the blood. And what we see here is the consensus effect. So if a, a given lipid species has been observed several times, decreased, then it gets more blue. And if it's increased, then it gets more red. And you can see here for the phosphatidylcholines or PC's that is generally blue. So generally we have decreased levels of different uh, phosphatidylcholine species in the blood prior to type one diabetes development. So what has what does this have to do with the mucus layer? Well, actually, phosphatidylcholine is supposed to associated with these uh, large glycoproteins that are in within the mucus layer and conferring a hydrophobic um, property here. So, if we lack PCs here, then we might have a less hydrophobic and a less strengthened uh, intestinal barrier. And this has been observed in ulcerative colitis patients that have severely reduced phosphatiducoline in the mucus layer. And if they are given PCs in a capsule form, they actually improve their clinical index. Um, they have also found that PCs are supposedly transported from the blood and into the mucus layer. And I say supposedly it's because it's a really, uh, there's really not a lot of data on this. Um, uh, these uh, mucous lipids uh, at all but th- this is what we have been inspired by to see well do we have uh, decreased levels of PCs in the mucous layer of uh, type 1 diabetes uh, of course patients but I have worked with mice these NOD mice that develop spontaneous lip- diabetes um, yeah so our yeah, aim can I, can I interrupt for
0: one second when you sure. can we go back to that one slide yeah so when there's a lack of PC, then does yeah. that um, result in sort of the mucus being um, l- uh, less, um, you know, strongly applied to the enterocytes or what happens there? Is yeah. The
1: mucus- yeah. So it's a great question because we, <laughs> we don't know much about it, but we know that uh, if you put PCs on uh, the intestinal surface, then you improve the intestinal permeability. So Somehow, uh, we believe at least that less um, diabetogenic antigens can enter into the body. That's kind of the idea.
0: So mucus uh, is perhaps, um, you know, anchored there more, you know, securely or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it associates with these... uh, um, these large glycoproteins. So it's kind of an extra surface that is hydrophobic and and has an extra barrier function.
0: Interesting. Okay. Thank you for clarifying.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yes. So um, what I did in the part that uh, is uh, currently submitted was that I examined the levels of these PCs in pre-diabetic NOD mice, uh, which is this mouse type that spontaneously develops type one diabetes and match them with uh, B6 mice to have a healthy control. And then we also examined the associated plasma metabolome because uh, the PCs are transported from the blood. And then I will also present um, some data on supplementation with PCs and if they can alleviate autoimmune diabetes in NOD mice and some data on um, a macrophage cell line and how PCs can dampen the LPS response in these, yes. So this is the experimental setup where we have the NOD mice and the B6 mice at three three ages here before they developed type 1 diabetes. And here we took out uh, different organs and so on. So I will start with the the mucus layer. So I scraped off the mucus layer um, that's also kind of inspired by these ulcerative colitis patients, uh, but it, you get all of the lipids that are within the mucus layer, also from intracytes and also from the MUC2-associated uh, lipids. And then we analyzed them with a method called shotgun lipidomics, which is very precise, where you can measure about 400 different lipid species, but we concentrated on these species. In the dejunum, we saw that on the class level, meaning uh, the total sum of all of these different species, there was a decrease at four weeks of age. And it's not uh, as, as decreased as in the ulcerative colitis uh, uh, mouse models, but it's still there and it could have an effect on the hydrophobicity. Then we examined if the, it was caused by um, specific species. So this is a full change plot where you only see The levels in the NOD mice, so the B6 mice are the black line, but as you see there are not many that are statistically significant, so it uh, suggests that it's uh, more or less all of the species that are decreased here at four weeks of age, but not at 13 weeks of age. In the colonic mucus we saw no uh, alterations in the Uh, at the class level, but instead we saw actually on the species level, a lot of different species that were decreased at both four and 13 weeks of age. Um, As seen here on the full change plot is primarily decreased. So that could mean that there are some specific species that have uh, functions that are currently unknown, but uh, that they have an effect on the hydrophobicity or the signaling properties of the mucus layer. Uh, That's at least our hypothesis. We wanted to see if these uh, changes were caused by changes in the thickness of the mucus layer. But as you see here, we saw no difference in the amount of goblet cells between the NOD and the B6 mice or the thickness of the inner mucus layer in the colon or the area. So uh, the alterations were not caused by differences in in, uh, the histology of the mucus layer. But we supplemented these uh, results with uh, metabolomics uh, on uh, plasma, because we know that the PCs are transported from the blood into the mucus. And here with focus on the PCs, we saw a decreased levels of three PC species, At young age here, uh, 34-1, 64-4, and 38-6, and one was uh, increased in the NOD mice. But what I noticed was that this specific species called PC36-4 was also decreased in the colonic mucus at four and 13 weeks of age. And if we go back to this consensus plot, this is actually also the only PC species here are uh, 36 uh, length and four double bindings that has a consensus effect of minus three. That means that three uh, studies have shown that it's decreased at uh, dep- uh, pre diabetes. And furthermore, in a recent study, they have seen uh, in patients that go from being eyelid auto antibody positive to islet autoantibody negative, that it actually has an increase of this specific uh, lipid species, suggesting that it could be some kind of relevant biomarker in type one diabetes um, patients also. So with these uh, lipid species, we'd also got a lot of uh, metabolomics results and I won't go into very much detail. So this is the comparison between NOD and B6 mice. What we saw was an increased level of ketone bodies as a result of beta oxidation, increased levels of branch changed amino acids, which are associated with beta cell dysfunction, and also um, these acyl carnitins, which is also a byproduct of beta oxidation, were also increased in the NOD mice. And this is kind of explainable by uh, we are comparing uh, type 1 diabetes mouse model to one that is not. So we would expect there was some metabolomic uh, results that were um, uh, differing here. So we also did a SQL microbiome analysis by sequencing uh, the variable region 1 to 8 of the 16s RNA in the SQL uh, content using the Minion. Uh, And we did that because we know that the the composition of the microbiota is important for the mucus layer. And it's also been a lot of studies in type one diabetes patients where they see altering uh, microbiota. So here we see that we have an altered beta diversity. So we have a significant difference between the microbial communities in the NOD mice Here in blue, and the B6 mice here in uh, red. So, and it also alters with age, which is uh, fairly normal. When we look at the species that are driving this difference uh, between the mice, we can see here a lot of species. I will only go into uh, a little bit of detail here. Uh, this specific species, Aneotruncus, was completely absent in the B6 mice, and Allobaculum and Tuisobacter was completely absent in the NOD mice. And these three species are both uh, negatively and positively associated with short-chain fatty acids. And short-chain fatty acids are beneficial for the gut and also induces a tolerogenic uh, immune response. And it's and short-chain fatty acids are also Uh, Decreased in type one diabetes patients. So we see kind of the similar here, um, uh, at least uh, from this perspective. So this was uh, what we have currently submitted uh, and hopefully we will get it out soon. Uh, So I will jump to uh, the next experiment where we wanted to see if we could supplement the NOD mice with PCs. So we uh, got a PC, cocktail, which was, which is derived from X, and also coline, because it's a precursor to PCs, and then supplemented into the diet. Um, so we gave this diet from three to four weeks, and until the end of the experiment, about uh, 217 days. And this was, of course, because we have these observance of uh, decreased levels of uh, PC. so might, it could be a relatively easy experiment to see what effect does this have on the diabetes incident. But unfortunately, um, we were not able to see any difference in diabetes incidence, um, as seen here on the incidence graph. They developed type 1 diabetes at the same time and got the, more or less the same incidence. And this could be, of course, uh, just because that's how it is, or because we are not supplying in the right way. Maybe it should be directly into the veins, or uh, because it's a cocktail of PCs. So we know from other experiments that these specific species, like 36.4, have specific functions. So maybe this cocktail doesn't have the correct um, distribution of lipids. So um, one of our master students conducted a, a cell experiment concurrently with the mice experiment just showed, where he stimulated macrophages with PCs, either the cocktail that was also incorporated uh, into the diet or 36.4 because of our interest in that. And then he removed the PCs and stimulated with LPS conducting an uh, inflammatory response. So, what he saw was that uh, in, the, in the medium, he uh, measured NO, which is an inflammatory response marker. And what he saw was that uh, when he doesn't um, treat with LPS, we don't get any NO. If we treat with a physiological level of uh, LPS, then actually 36.4 is able to reduce the NO response, also to a higher degree than the cocktail. And if we are in very high levels of LPS, then both the cocktail and the 36.4 reduces the and um, NO response. And he was able to verify this uh, with QPCR on INOS and also TNF-alpha, which I have on, uh, on this slide, um, where you can see also without LPS, um, the 364 is actually reducing uh, INOS levels in the cells, um, and also uh, here with the treatment with LPS. And interestingly, he also observed that when he treated with 36.4, he actually got an anti-inflammatory response uh, with the production of IL-10 without any LPS. So it was not strong enough when the LPS uh, stimulants were also on it, but he got a pretty strong uh, response um, when they were untreated. So 36:4 definitely has uh, anti-inflammatory um, properties, which has also been shown by others. Um, which uh, is kind of interesting when you also think about the current literature of type one diabetes and uh, these um, and this uh, specific lipid species. So, to so, uh, conclude. In the large mouse experiment, we saw these aberrant or decreased levels of PCs in the mucus layer. And they were kind of related to plasma uh, levels of PCs, or not to the same degree, but at least we were able to focus on this 36.4, which is relevant for human have 1 diabetes. It was not uh, related to alterations in mucus histology, but we also observed uh, alterations in the microbiome which were uh, related to short-chain fatty acids production, which is also seen in uh, type 1 diabetes. Unfortunately, the diet supplementation with a cocktail of pieces did not reduce uh, diabetes incidence. It could, of course, be very interesting to see if the 36.4 <laughs> would have uh, the effect, but uh, it's very expensive to have uh, such a, um, a clean, it's not called clean, um, like 100% uh, PC364 is very expensive. Yeah, Uh, and then we know that PC364 has anti-inflammatory effects uh, in this uh, macrophage cell line. So we, of course, uh, think that there should be more research on PC364 in type one diabetes. Uh, Maybe it can be used as a biomarker or maybe it has therapeutic uh, potentials, Um, either uh, by ingesting it or uh, through uh, IV or something like that. And then we are currently, uh, some of our other students are currently um, seeing if it has an effect on other uh, cell lines, in particular beta cells and their insulin production. So uh, thank you for inviting me. And I of course want to thank uh, my, my team at the Baselin Institute and my collaboration partners and my uh, funding bodies.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Mia. I, you know, I, I wondered if anyone had thought about doing the experiment where you um, replace or, you know, um, somehow enhance the missing um, bacterial species and then add the PC. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that could uh, be interesting. Uh, I, I'm really When you, um, these ulcerative colitis uh, patients, they get a specific capsule that is uh, only degraded in colon. And I would really want uh, to be able to do that also in mice. Uh, I think that's not really so easy uh, because we just supplemented it uh, with the diet. So it might have been broken down in the small intestine and not reach uh, the colon. Uh, I know there has been a lot of study manipulating the microbiome, uh, specifically inducing short-chain fatty acid production through fiber diets, and it has a positive effect on the diabetes incidence in not mice, at least. So that uh, could be interesting, yeah, to combine it, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. I, you know, I think that this, this area has been kind of like uh, understudied. But I this paper is really interesting that you've got here. And I think it's gonna pique some interest and really kind of get people thinking about approaching um approaching this whole paradigm, you know, more robustly. Um, I didn't know if uh Martin wanted to join in at any uh, and have a few uh and have some input in terms of like what's gonna happen. You know, you're heading out to your um next stage of your career. I mean, is there, you know, what's happening. After you go in the laboratory, or
2: yeah, I just wanted to add um, that it's just uh, strange uh, because um, uh, many many groups have actually uh, been looking at um, uh, dyslipidemia and type one diabetes and um, see reductions of um, many of the same species that as Mia uh, see reductions uh, in, but not very many um, um, are studying uh, the specific uh, PC species. but they, they seem to have a strong anti-inflammatory effect. So I think it's important to try and characterize these um, PC species that we see reduced um, uh, both in serum and uh, in the mucus layer um, in pre-type one diabetes. Um, and I think it's important to focus in, on this uh, pre-diabetic um, phase, right? Um, because um, the, the things we, we see um, changed uh, in that phase, um, yeah, there is a bigger potential to to prevent type one diabetes uh, with these uh, uh, with these things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and with the advent of teplizumab and its acceptance here in the US by the FDA, right? That also, you know, kind of um, incentivizes people to look very closely at the prodrome and what's happening as uh, people uh, head towards the diagnosis of di- diabetes. So that perhaps there might be, um, you know, multi-multi drug approaches to stop that progression. I wanted to, you know, I also found that it was fascinating that um, there was no histological changes when you looked at the NOD mouse in the gut. Yeah. Um, I wondered if anyone, if you know, if anyone has done the work in uh, human samples um, that are associated with type one uh,
1: lipidomics in the yeah. mucus or.
0: Well, looking at the sort of the, you know, the, you guys looked at the histology of the gut and you noticed, you know, there was no real change in the, in the number of goblet cells or the thickness of the mucus. And I don't know, I haven't seen that. I just didn't know if you did, because it's more in your realm. Of research i
1: don't think there is any mucus histology out there from uh, type one diabetes patients no yeah it would have to uh, be the
0: samples right of the um post post-mortem mortem samples yeah
1: general, but it's I- also the mucus layer is very difficult to um to uh, perform histology on because yeah. it's just get Gets ripped ripped off in the colon. You, I measured the inner mucus layer, which is also very commonly done. Mm-hmm. But uh, the outer mucus layer is also important. But uh, that's you can't really analyze it uh, like that.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. Were you gonna add something, Martin?
2: Yeah. Um, well, in general, um, we we do see uh, changes um, in the. Um, intestinal, um, in the intestine in uh, NOD mice, but not that much in uh, in humans. Uh, We see enteropathy in um, the pre-diabetic phase of uh, nut mice, which we can uh, reduce, uh, for instance, with a gluten-free diet. Um, So we can actually increase the surface area. We can increase the um, uh, to crypt ratio. Um, into small intestine with um, yeah, just um, avoiding uh, gluten um, in utero. So, um, but but I don't think that um, the same changes are present in human uh, type one diabetes as uh, as we see in the, in the not mice.
0: Yeah, I just didn't know about that literature whether or not people had extended the the work into human samples. Um, well, there's room for inquiry, I guess. Mm-hmm. So this was really great, very interesting. Um, you know, thank you very much uh for presenting this work, Mia. It was really um, really fascinating. And uh I think that uh it will be it'll be viewed and 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 um talked about, I think, in in some circles that are that are really um, you know, looking at this uh, interface, which is an important one. <laughs> thank you very much, and I hope you guys have a great rest.